This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can pull up your home life cameras on your TV with your Contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. To learn more, visit cox.com slash thisishome. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Here's joined by Forrest Walker at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Hey, it's it's been a minute. Uh, I'm I guess I'm fine. It's it's hard to know anymore, but uh, I don't know. Things are better than they were previously. I guess it's been about ten days since James Harden got traded. The Rockets are three and three in that time. Now that's a limited sample size, so they could be way better or way worse than that. It's really hard to tell. Uh, but I wanted to take this time out today to talk more generally about the Rockets. Uh, the Rockets are clearly not a title contender this year, so we don't really have to get into the nitty-gritty of the on-court stuff right now. I figure let's talk about where this franchise goes from here, post-Harden era. Uh, but first, I haven't really got a chance to talk to you since the trade went down. Like, How are you, how are you feeling about the way things ended in Houston with Harden and how the Harden era will be remembered more generally? Oh, boy. Um, well... Uh, the whole thing was pretty grim, but I feel like you could kind of see it coming like this. The franchise had been going through some, uh, weird difficulty for a while. And I wish I could say I was more surprised by it, but like if, all right, the, I guess the first, first things first, James Harden wasn't wrong that this team wasn't going to win a championship with him. And that's kind of just the normal ebb and flow of, uh, well, there is a normal ebb and flow in which championship teams then kind of run out of the resources they had, uh, and then they stop being championship teams, and then they have to kind of rebuild again, if not, you know, like, just total reload, if not rebuild. Uh, I do think some things happened to make that happen a lot faster in Houston than they should have, but... uh he was right that it wasn't going to end well in Houston, but I think it really sucks that he didn't win a championship previously and also felt the need that he had to go win a championship because I think it would be a lot more fun for everybody to have Harden be a Houston guy, but that's not what's happening. So that's really what's most disappointing to me. Like I kind of wanted to see like the the Rockets at the high of their power kind of slowly fade away and right off into the sunset together. But the way that things turned out, that wasn't really an option. And that just kind of sucks to have to actually see happen. 
Yeah, Harden wasn't perfect in the way he went about this, but I think you're right in that the assessment he made about the Rockets not being good enough, I agree. It's, it's, it's true. It's, he, they weren't good enough, and they didn't really have the resources to improve that much. I mean, they, they could have improved marginally, as they do every trade deadline, but that marginally isn't good enough, right? Like, they were... Um, e- even if he had tried, right? Even if he had gave, given this team a fair shake, I don't think, just looking at the roster that it was equipped to really deal with the best teams in the NBA. And if they weren't equipped to deal with the best teams in the NBA, they weren't equipped to win a championship. And uh, on the last note that you said, I actually texted you texted you this after the trade went down. It would not surprise me if Harden hasn't played his last game in a Rockets uniform. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if the story isn't finished being written uh, with all this. It really wouldn't. We don't have to talk about all that right now. But it's kind of a gut feeling I got after the trade, and it was only emboldened by the press release he sent out. Uh, I'll read a quote, the quote that I'm referring to. Uh, he said, I fell short of the of bringing glory to the city, and for that I am forever indebted. It's far from a goodbye as I pay all my debts. Um, it's pretty brazen what he's implying there. Uh, I'm not saying I would bet my life on a Houston return, but I'm just saying I would not be surprised. Like at that, That's kind of my gut feeling right now, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, he definitely wants to leave it open, if nothing else, right? Like, it, it, if what you say isn't the case, it's definitely better for him if the people of Houston, you know, uh, like have a reason to believe that. And maybe he will. I mean, like, if he wins a championship this year or next year, I don't know. I guess he might. Uh, depends on how much he wants to be with that team and with the people who are running that team, which is kind of an open question. So, I, I would love to see Harden. Uh, playing for the people of Houston. That's what I'm going to say very specifically. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and talk about the future of this franchise, shall we? So I sent you a rough outline before we recorded about how I wanted to divide this up. And I basically came up with three questions. Uh, what should be the goal of Houston this season? What should they try to accomplish at the trade deadline? And what should they try to accomplish this offseason? So let's uh, let's tackle that first question. Forrest, in your opinion, what should be the goal for Houston this season? The goal for Houston this season is just to get both their feet on the ground and steady themselves. Like I, the the weird situation with their draft picks means that there isn't a really compelling reason to tank necessarily, unless they're bad enough that like they're likely to get a very bottom record. But there's also not a great reason to be particularly good because, let's be honest, they're not going to be championship tier. Like, maybe they'll make the playoffs if things go well. But the reward for that is not making the playoffs, even though that is cool and more fun than missing them. Like, what they really need to do this season is figure out where they are. And that's as far as it goes. Like, they need to they need to keep taking flyers like they've been doing on guys who have had problems elsewhere and might show a lot of promise and just see what they've got, like, who's good, who's not good, what's working and what's not working, and just kind of recalibrate and see where they're going next season. Like, there's just no pressure this season. So as far as I'm concerned, like, none of the games are, like, the results of games don't matter. It just matters them figuring out who they are and what they've got going. Yeah, you're 100% right about them trying to take flyers on guys. Like, I'm assuming you're talking about the Kevin Porter Jr. trade, which is basically giving up nothing for a possible asset, right? Like, they, they that pick was top 55 protected. 
uh, it's po- probably not going to convey. So it's pretty obvious the Rockets are just seeing what they can get here, seeing what they have here. They're going to pair him with John Lucas, uh, and they're going to try to get his, you know, his personal stuff resolved. Hopefully that stuff's, you know, in the clear. I mean, he's his story this season's been crazy. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how, how close you followed the Kevin Porter Jr. stuff, but um, I mean, the, the stuff not about good. yeah, it's it's the the, the off court stuff, specifically that story about him getting pulled over. It's just it's just it's crazy. All all that stuff is crazy. So I I definitely hope he does get that stuff resolved, but. I mean, to me, it's pretty simple, right? Like, you you refer to it. The Rockets owe this swap to the Thunder, where they retain the worst of Miami, Houston, and OKC's first round th- first round pick this year. It seems pretty clear that OKC is going to be pretty bad this year, just looking at their roster. So, if you're Houston, you're, you're really asking yourself, can we be as good or better than Miami this year? And the reason for that is, if you're better than Miami, you you have the worst pick, which means that pick swap becomes null and void. And if you're maybe a few wins short of Miami's record, that that pick swap stings a little less as opposed to if you're like a pretty hefty sum behind Miami. Because if you're dropping like two or three spots in the first round, like who the hell really cares? It's not that substantive as if you drop two or three spots in like the top of the first round. Um, And the second reason you should try to be good is you want all your players trade value to spike. You you're rebuilding. So you want the contracts of John Wall, Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, Daniel house to look really attractive on the trade market. Yeah. And I think moreover, it just sucks to lose too. Like a lot of these guys came over, not intending to like, be to sit here through a a total tank and rebuild you know players want to win and they want to have a situation where they can feel good about themselves and it's there are problems attendant with tanking i understand the math but it sucks to be a part of it it sucks to watch and it sucks for the players and the team so even if you're not winning a ton of games like it's nice to establish that you're actually going to try every night night in and night out it's nice for steven silas to be able to have his first years like not be a total waste of his time. Uh, I think it's just more conducive to a, a good culture in the team and in the fans as well. So I, I understand like if the, if they are terrible, like if it, if they just can't get it together at all and they're just really bad, then I guess whatever you know. But it's if if you're at all decent, like why not? It's it's not worth it. I think in this season to go for a tank. Right, like as you said, they have no incentive to tank, and I think their roster is kind of scrappy, right? Like they have a bunch of good players on the roster: PJ Tucker, uh, Eric Gordon, John Wall, uh, Christian Wood. You know, Demarcus Cousins coming off the bench. He has not been good at all times, but he's been good at some points, right? <laughs> uh, uh, Jay Sean Tate. You know, like this is a good roster, and I think they can really compete for a play-in spot. You know, a nine or ten seat, perhaps even. If you get lucky, maybe you can, you can grab an eight seed. It, it's it's one of those type of teams, and um, it, again, you have no incentive, so you might as well go for it. Okay, um, question number two, Mister Forrest Walker. If you're Houston, what are you trying to accomplish at the trade deadline? All right, uh, I think the two main things they're going to, need to do is one, figure out what they're going to do with Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker. Because I think you just have to owe it to those guys to see what they want at that point in time. Because if they want out, I think you have to let them out. If they want to go, like, try for a shot at at a ring somewhere else, I think it's only reasonable. And honestly, at least for PJ, you can get a pretty solid return TBD regarding Eric. Uh 
But I think at the trade deadline, the main thing you actually want to get back is the stuff that's going to help you going forward, which is draft picks. And I think even more importantly than that, young, promising players who could be something. Take take back things from, uh, especially the P.J. Tucker trade, you could really take back some stuff from a team that wants to win right now but is willing to mortgage a little bit of the future. Uh, some really some really nice stuff that'll have make the team more a little younger, which is good for them right now. I think like as much as you know, John Wall and Boogie Cousins are a feel good story. You kind of do want all the guys in the same timeline to some degree. So uh, unless the team happens to like, unless they just are way better than we assume they're going to be, you just want to keep preparing for the future and like taking, taking out some, uh, some flyers and picking up some guys who might have some real upside so that you can either develop them within your system and you can find some chemistry and some diamonds in the rough and or you can flip them later on. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting trade season, by the way. Raphael Stone has shown himself to be willing to make whatever trades are on the table, honestly. So I think we can expect to see some to see some moves and to see some more uh, young, interesting players come to the team. Right. Like, I, th- I think it's pretty clear. Uh, you're spot on there. Like, I think it's pretty clear. Like, you don't want to tear the whole team down because you still have that pick swap to worry about. But also, uh, you want to get something for your expiring pieces, right? Like, the obvious player there to trade is P.J. Tucker. He's 35 years old. I think the market is pretty inflated for him right now because of the lack of 3-and-D wings around the league. And people have that lasting memory of P.J. Tucker in the playoffs where he was really, really good. And he's also expressed discontent with the organization about not getting a contract extension. He's on the last year of his deal. Uh, I think there's a distinct possibility you can fetch a first-round pick for him. If not, I think the base price for him is going to be around two second-rounders. And... I also think Houston wants to get a good look at what they have in Jay Sean Tate. Like, he's been really impressive early on this season. They have him signed to a multi-year deal. It seems like he'd be a natural guy to slide into that starting power forward spot. Again, it doesn't really matter if you're trying to build a title contender because you're not trying to build a title contender. You just want to see what you have. And I think there are people listening to this podcast wondering, um, you know, why haven't we talked about Victor Odipo yet and what they do with him at the trade deadline? I actually think they want to keep him for the season. They gave up a second round pick to have him over Karis Levert. To me, that signals they're attracted to the idea of seeing how it goes with Odipo. And if it goes really well, they resign him this summer. And if it doesn't, like, listen, he helped you win games during the season when you had an incentive to be good uh, because of the pick swap. His contract will fall off the books and you can go your separate ways. Like, that's, I, I don't think it hurts you if, if you get nothing back for Oladipo. Real, I really don't. Like, th- that's kind of the, that's kind of what you try to go for in these, these massive superstar deals, right? Like, if you can't get the good asset, you want the expiring contract. And that's, Victor Oladipo's in a unique scenario where he can be kind of both, right? Like, he can be both the expiring contract or he can be the good asset depending on what happens this summer. Yeah, and we also can't foreclose upon the possibility of a sign and trade as well. Like, and they probably want back just something very cheap, like a second rounder or two or something like that, uh, to be able to, you know, sign him with the increased bird rights to wherever it is he wants to go, which that's also pretty useful. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think Oladipo does play out the season in Houston most likely because it's going to take them all to figure out what, what they got with him. And like we both said, his expiring contract is actually pretty useful. All right. Last question. Um, to me, this was, this was the hardest one and it's probably going to be the most time. This is probably going to be the one we spend the most time on. Um, you can go in a ton of different directions here. So I'll just ask the question and you take it wherever you want to go with it. What are you trying to accomplish this summer? If you're Houston, what are you trying to accomplish moving forward? Uh, 
Oh boy. So the the fun thing about this question is that it's actually a whole bunch of different questions all put together like you implied. Uh I'm going to start from the perspective of Raphael Stone because he's the the Oh, by the way, it, it's Raphael and I made the I made I made the mistake myself. It made me feel like a piece of crap, but once you get it right, I I think we'll get used to it. Okay. Uh, well, sorry, sorry, Mr. Stone, Rafael Stone. Uh, if you are him, and he's the character, as it were, that I think is kind of the most interesting in Houston right now, he's going to want to establish himself, especially after such an iconic GM as Daryl Morey has just left the team. So from his perspective, what you want to do is show that you know how to run this team and you know how to not only invest in the future, but also produce something that the fans and more importantly, the ownership is going to like right now. He's got a real needle to thread right now. And he doesn't, he's not going to know what he needs to do until probably halfway through the season, right? We haven't seen enough of this team to know exactly where they're at. If they've turned out better than expected, he's got an even harder job because he's got to try to capitalize on that sooner rather than later. It's actually probably a little easier if the team is bad because if the team is bad, his job is to show that he is finding, like we said, diamonds in the rough and he's building toward the future and he has to show his bosses that like th- this is something worth caring about and a, and a project that will last long term. Right? He needs to do the opposite of what Daryl Morey did for the last few years which was the right thing to do at the time, of course, which is instead of spending your assets to win right now, he's going to show that he is building up assets while not hurting the present too much. That's hard. That's a hard, like, road to hoe. But so far, he's seemed pretty up to the task. So that's the long-term goals they're going to have is honestly going to be keeping the ownership happy, which I don't think it's that controversial to say that's maybe a hard task <laughs> with this team right now. Uh the players don't have nearly as much of that to worry about. They just need to go out there. They need to show out. They need to, depending on who they are, the older guys need to go out there and, you know, have great games and establish that either they can be the centerpiece of a team or they have a good reason to expect they can be moved to a place they want to go to or just simply get another big contract. Uh, the younger players just need to figure out developing their game so they can also get bigger contracts and decide where they want to go. So the players just only need to go and try to win. Steven Silas, his goal is quite straightforward as well. He just has to learn how to win with this team. Uh, but I, I'm really interested in seeing what, what Stone does because he's got a very hard job. <laughs> this is this kind of like halfway between rebuild and reload situation they're in is one of the trickiest situations NBA teams find themselves in. Uh, and I want to see if he can please both the fans and the ownership of this team. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I've actually been really impressed with what he's done over the past three months since he's gotten the job. Like, he's acquired seven first-round picks and four first-round pick swaps. Like, obviously, a, a large chunk of that is from the Harden trade. But listen, you have to get a trade like that right, right? And, and obviously, it's going to be a while till we learn what that trade ends up becoming. But I like the trade initially. Like, I thought, well, once I saw that what Philly was offering and what what Brooklyn was offering, I thought it was pretty clear that Brooklyn was offering the more enticing package. Listen, I love Ben Simmons, but I mean, you can't turn down first round pit, four first round picks and four first round pick swaps if they're all unprotected, right? That's just, that's just too tantalizing to turn down. And you know, what he did with the Christian Wood saga, like th- that series of transactions was really impressive. You know, where he, he turned Robert Covington into uh, two first round picks. Then he turned one of those first round picks into, um, Christian Wood and uh, and another first round pick that was protected. Like I thought that was a really impressive series of transactions. Um, and 
I think, you know, what he does this summer is going to be uh, pretty informative to what we understand to him, understand him to be as a general manager, right? It's going to, it's going to inform a lot of what we think about him, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think. I mean, I, I, I think he's done a pretty fine. He doesn't look like a rookie general manager, right? He looks like he's, especially the way he offer, operated the hard and stuff. Like he did not rush into a bad deal. He did not rush into a deal period. He was not like dissuaded by the way things went down in training camp. You know, it's, it's really easy to get, uh, really panicky in those kinds of situations. And he didn't, he, he kind of stuck to his guns and he waited to the best deal came around. Yeah, uh, I've been impressed so far, but he's going to have to... The other thing they need to do, which is hugely important, as a whole organization, they have to do this, is that in a couple of years, within a couple of years, they need to be ready to sign agents, right? Like right now, they're in a situation where they're figuring out what's going on, but they need to pretty soon get back to being enticing for free agents because that is a huge way that you get good in the NBA. And it's that's honestly probably the best way to go from being a simply a good team to an elite team is being a desirable free agent destination. And also and, relevant. Like th- yeah. th- the next two years, they own their own first round picks after that, after these next two years, they don't like that's okay. That's under OKC's control. So you have every incentive to be good by that point. So yeah. what, what, whatever you do in the next two years, that's your own business, but you better be good after that. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, and not only just good, they need to be a place that players want to go to. There's been a lot of damage done to the team's reputation, I think, over the last six months or so, that they have a real shot at repairing, but they're going to have to actually do it. They have to become a place where, where players know that it's good to play there it's fun to play there it's a good city and it is a good city look i'm gonna like i don't think i'm being a homer when i say that houston is one of the more like just not not team based but simply city based houston is one of the better places in the nba to come to it's a warm city which matters when you play in a league that plays during the winter uh texas has a lot of nightlife it is not like top three but it is top 10 it is one of the better places that free agents are going to want to come to. So the way I, I characterize it, it's not a glamour. Like it's not like a destination for, like city, but it's definitely like after that, it's if you're a good front office and you manage the team right, it can become a destination, right? It's one of those cities like Chicago, um, Boston, right? Like like the one of those really good cities, those tier two cities. Maybe it's not Miami. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not Los Angeles. Maybe it's not New York. But after that, if if you're running the team pretty well, players are going to want to come to your city. Yeah, yeah. Like new, you're not going to get ahead of Los Angeles, New York, Miami, and the Bay Area, right? Those are those are the four locations that they're just unstoppable. No matter what they do, team players are going to want to go there. But you can be in that next spot up after that. And I think they really need to build a reputation as being a pleasant place for players to be. They need this to be the understanding on the league so that they can entice free agents in the in the wacky chance that 
James Harden does win a ring and wants to come back, you got to be ready for that. You also got to be ready for anybody. You have to be ready for all the free agents who are going to be coming up who could be interested in coming to Houston, especially players who are fairly young now and are, for example, going to be coming off of rookie contracts and stuff like that. You, this is the most important thing for them going forward. They we know that they can build assets in terms of draft picks, right? And uh, it looks like, we're going to see, but it looks like they can develop players and help them build themselves into the best players they can be. And that has a dual benefit of not only making those players better, but also making them happier and also making the, the team more attractive to other players. So that's what I want to see. I, I want to see a big time focus on the culture of the team more even than winning on the court is that this needs to be a solid, stable, pleasant team to be a part of. Uh, one more thing. Uh, I, and I said this when Rafael walked into the job, like they need to build out that front office again. Like there's just been too much brain trust, uh, taken away from them and they, they need to go hire some guys. Like not just, you know, promote from within, you know, all that's, that stuff's great, obviously, but you, they need to go out and find some more guys to, you know, surround Rafael with, right? Cause like that's, as, as much as we talk about him not looking like a rookie general manager, he still is a rookie general manager and you want to surround him with as much veteran, been around the league talent as possible. And I think, um, you know, you saw a report about that this week that the Rockets are looking to sell, looking to put someone under Rafael. Um, you know, and I, I think that's probably the smart thing to do. Like, I think uh, there's too many, far too many of their guys have been hired by other teams, right? And that, that's obviously a good thing and that, that implies that you're doing something right. But your top guy just got cherry-picked away, right, to Philadelphia. So you need to go build out that in- infrastructure again. Yeah, and they have a long way to go. I mean, this is this is this is really square one for the Houston Rockets, and it's it's funny because what what we've been talking about. I think that it's become clear that the farther out you get from right now, the clearer the picture is of where you need to be. But this next couple of years is a real wild west, and like unlike many other places, well, I don't know. We'll see. In this particular situation, they have to be good right away. Like the, this na- now is the hardest time, right? Like just because they don't need to worry about winning games over the next season or two, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to be the Rockets. Like this, this starting point is the most critical to have a place to come off of and they have to get this right right now. And it's going to be interesting to. Ha- instead of having to watch for who's winning games and whatnot, which we've been doing for years, right? Houston fans have been in some way spoiled by watching like seven plus years of James Harden going out there and being a superstar that we just got to care about wins and losses. But that's not what's at hand right now. It's more complicated and more difficult than that. We have to make sure that the team is making the right choices that are going to last down the line and that they are, you know, they're striking the right balance of both winning and development so this is a this is hard and like this is a huge ask being made of stone. Like I cannot stress that enough that like the fact that he looks like he's up to the task is incredibly impressive to me. Yeah, and going back to that original question about what they should do this summer, it's tricky because again, Houston owns their next two first round picks and after that they no longer control them because of the Westbrook trade. So if you're going to bottom out, now is the only time you'll get to bottom out. But at the same time, bottoming out will take a lot of work. You have a lot of contracts to trade, and it's unclear what the market will be for those contracts. So how the season plays out 
has a huge effect on the start of their off season. I think like if they have a killer season and they make the playoffs and they're a tough first round out, you could real easily see a scenario where there's a market for John Wall or Eric Gordon or Christian Wood or Daniel House. And if there's a market for John Wall, I think Houston should move that contract immediately because he's 30 years old and probably not in their long-term future. And if there is no market for him, it becomes very hard to tank. And because Wall isn't a superstar, he's good enough to make you too good to not get a, ter- a, fir- a good first round pick. And if that's the case, I think Houston has to do what they did before James Harden, which is really, really incredibly difficult, right? It's, it's what you talked about before. Um, rebuilding from the middle, stay very competitive, sign good contracts, accumulate assets in the background. And with respects to Victor Oladipo, I think Houston should only sign him if the number is right. And I guess that that could be the next question, what they should do with Victor Oladipo. Uh, and I have a feeling the price might be too high uh, with the free agent class of 2021 uh, being depleted because of all these signed extensions. Like I think the contract might be really, really freaking expensive, but if you can get him to sign a, if you can get him to sign a contract, that's in that 18 to $22 million a year range. I think it's worth keeping the asset. If he's asking for more than that, I say Houston should just let him walk and keep the space. Because remember, the Rockets are now in that phase of their franchise where they can no longer sign bad contracts. They no longer have that luxury. With James Harden, you had that luxury because you had your cornerstone piece already. You no longer have that cornerstone piece. So I don't think they can sacrifice flexibility to sign a bad contract right now. The the farthest they can really go is signing fair value contracts. Yeah, the 2021 free agent class is pretty underwhelming. Yeah. So they really, like, they don't need to worry about this summer as much, but they have to be very appealing by the 2022 free agent class because there is a huge amount of talent out there. So that is the deadline, right? That is, that is what they have to be going for. Uh, we'll see how they do it this season, but next season is going to be such a huge deal for that organization. Like, that is a make-or-break season for the Houston Rockets organization. Yeah, and they're in a tricky spot because, yes, they've created space for themselves under the luxury tax, but unless they intend to let Victor Oladipo walk, they have not created cap space yet, right? Like, once they create cap space, and specifically one max slot, because that's what you're going to need every every summer from here on out. You're going to have to have one max spot available. Right, that, that that's what Maury did during his rebuild. He always had one max spot available. He always took meetings, even if he wasn't in the race. He was always in the in the hunt because he had the flexibility to do it. Right, and he always kept good contracts in the books. He always kept the you know the the coffers you know pretty stacked with picks and stuff. And I think that's that's kind of the the balancing act you got to do if you're if you're stone. And I think. Um, get do, the doing that Brooklyn trade was huge because it you know restores some flexibility that you lost from that Westbrook trade, but you still have to be very careful because again, after these next two years, you no longer control your own picks, so you have to some way, but you know by some way become good by that point. So they have some somewhat of a timeline. It doesn't mean they have to be a title contender by then, but they have to be good enough to where those picks don't hurt to give up. Yeah, they need to at least get back to that, like making the playoffs pretty consistently level at that at that point. So they are good enough to attract players that matter. Because if if you're a free agent draw, you don't really care too much about your your own draft picks anymore. That's not a big deal. So they they can't they can't be in that bad team's place. And you know it's possible they don't ever get into that bad team's place. Like that is. 
in the situation they're in, I actually think there's a pretty good argument to be made that they're better off just trying to be good, but having cap space in the 2022 free agent class than trying to like bottom out in 2022, right? Cause like you, it'll make your one draft pick better, but that's, that may not be worth it compared to instead being a uh, desirable location, having a solid organization, right? Well, it depends on what draft you're talking about. Cause next year's draft, yeah, that might, that might actually be worth it because that, I'm just, I'm just from what I'm reading for, about this draft, it looks like the top 10 looks pretty good in terms of there are some difference making franchise players in that top 10. And if you can get a pick in that draft, you know, and, and, and they don't just have to be bad to get a pick in that draft. They could trade up, right? They now have the flexibility because of that Brooklyn trade to move some of these, to package some of these picks to, to move up. You know, they, they, ha- they have that in their back pocket. But if you can find a way to get into that top 10, I think that's something Houston should explore every, every avenue they can to try to get into that top 10. I think honestly that if you have a bunch of pretty good players who are who are young and enticing the teams on a bunch of good draft picks, then moving up in that draft is probably preferable to being bad because the problem with being that bad is that it's really hard to be that bad for exactly one year. That's the big difficulty that if you're going to bottom out, you usually end up bottoming out for like three plus years and they need to not do that. You know what they need is like the Tim Duncan breaks his ankle season but they don't they're not really in that situation i feel like well i guess i guess it depends on what kind of what phrase in class they're chasing if they're absolutely stone cold chasing that 2022 uh free agent class you're right yeah they they just need to be bad for one year which is really hard to do but if the, if they're if they're willing to be bad for two seasons and perhaps get back into it in 2023 it's possible i mean listen it's again it's still that's still hard being bad for two seasons and suddenly becoming good that's still hard Right. But it's, it's more like, it's, it's more possible than being bad for one year and then becoming good again. Yeah. I, I mean, my thing is I just kind of feel like what they're doing looks more like they're trying to fill up their coffers with picks and, and value so that they don't have to go the total tank route. You know, I think they're going to try for good young players and they're, they are however good they are. If, if the, if building up young players makes them lose a lot of games, so be it. But I think they'd rather just like build for the future that way and try to move up in trades and try to just have a whole lot of things they can offer to teams and be ready to strike whenever the, the you know, the right. eyes than to like consign themselves to tanking for a while. Because that, that is, you keep saying it's a real commitment and that doesn't look to me like what they're trying to do right now. And, and that's kind of why you have to you have to have good contracts in the books because you got to be willing to strike. And if you had bad, if you have bad contracts in the books, it just makes you so inflexible, right? And if you can get guys like Victor Oladipo to sign good deals, right, it, it puts you in the hunt for some of these star players. I mean, I think I think that's more probably the most likely path they have to getting back a star player, right? To getting back that cornerstone piece. I think they're more likely to get that through trade than any other avenue at this point. Just by looking at looking at their roster, looking at their pick situation, and looking at um, just the state of the franchise, I think that's probably the most likely path they have to getting back that star player. And then that second star player, would you know, you know, if you're trying to build a title contender again, which again we don't really know because you know. Rafael Stone had a press conference uh, two weeks ago, and he was kind of evasive about what the Rockets are, you know, really aiming for at this point. But let's just assume that they're trying to get back to that contending place. They, you need that second star. 
So you can try to trade for that first star, keep that max spot available, which I talked about, right? You keep that max spot slot available every single summer. And then you sign the second star, which is kind of what the Clippers did with Paul George and Kawhi, right? They, yeah, I was gonna bring up that's 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 the perfect example, right? Like the, the the Clippers kept their their coffers you know full with good contracts, good players, good draft picks, and then they they you know they striked when when Kawhi was available, and they signed Paul George. That's exactly the kind of scenario I could see playing out if the if they play their hand right and if they get lucky, because this again. It, a lot of this is luck. Like the when the Rockets got really unlucky in in that before James Harden, there was really a I don't even like a, a drought of star players on the market. Like it, there was not nearly as many star players available as there were. It seems nowadays. Like nowadays, there's always a star player available, right? Like right now, I, I guess the guy's Bradley Beal, right? But like. Back then, it seemed like, like, is there even a star player available to be traded, right? Like, like is it Josh Smith, right? Is it Amari Stoudemire? Like, it, it, it was a very empty uh, trade market. It, it wasn't very solvent. And I think now you're more in position to trade for those guys because those guys seem to be demanding out of the situations more often. Yeah, there's always someone discontent right now. It's a really weird situation for the NBA at the moment, but that is... It's kind of bad for the teams that are good right now and kind of good for the teams that are bad right now. Uh, so yeah, I think there's definitely the opportunity to, like you said, do exactly a Clippers where you talk to, you talk to stars and see if any of them would be amenable to coming over if you were to acquire someone else. And then you find a place who has a star who wants to get out of there and trade for him. And then there you go. Bang. You got a, you got a, you got your tandem of, of star players. I, I, I don't like the way you said that. There you go. Bang. It's not, it's not that easy. All right. It's, it's, it takes. No. But, but you want to put yourself in the position to be able to do that, right? right. Like, yes, yes. Need that option available for if it happens. No, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I just I just don't like the way you phrase it really quickly. Like, there you go, bang. Like, it's like it's like it's like easy available for everyone to do uh, as you know, as if they can they can pull that off within this this summer. Like, it's it's going to be really tough, and it, it's probably true that the road ahead is going to be a little longer than most fans expect, right? Like I think a lot of fans expect them to get back into it by this time next season. And this that's probably not the case. They're probably going to be still rebuilding this time next year and probably the year after that. And as long as if, as long as they are in a position to where they're not rebuilding in that third season, right? Uh, you know, three years from now or two years from now, whatever, 2023, as long as they're in a position where they're not rebuilding that season, um, They'll be fine, but again, it's going to take some skillful tacticianing by uh, Rafael Stone. Yeah, like I said, it's going to be really difficult, and a lot of this depends on who pans out also. Like how many of these young players they have on the team end up being really good, and that's something you just can't predict, right? Like you can put yourself in a position for it to happen, but – like if if it just turns out these guys aren't as good as we hoped they were, which that's how it usually goes, right? You you don't hit on every swing, uh, then that that slows things up, right? Like you need a you need a lot of luck for this to go well, uh, and you can over a long enough period of time, if the team has good ownership and management, you can build up those little victories here and there, and you can like mitigate the little losses that you're gonna take here and there. And you can just build back up to a position where you are ready. You know, you, you you keep getting better, and then you keep hoping that something happens, and you can speed up the process. But it's never going to be as easy as you want. Uh, 
the the Rockets aren't the Clippers. They aren't in Los Angeles. They don't have the automatic draw. Every player isn't from Houston. Like that's that is the reality of things. So they're going to have to be smarter, and they're going to have to be more stable, and they're going to have to have a better culture than everybody else in order to stay even with them. I think what's interesting is now um, it's it seemed like for in the James Harden era, the most interesting time of year was uh, the playoffs, right? Like that, that was always the time of, of year to look forward to in ter- in regards to the Rockets, right? Like that was always like, okay, so how far can this team go? How, how good is this team in the regular season? Like the games were the most important part. Now it's no longer the games. It's, it's the trade deadline. It's the off season. It's the draft. Like it's all these off points. Like three fourths of the year are no longer relevant to the Rockets. Now it's like, like you have to worry about these very limited periods of time. Uh, and, and, how they try to capitalize and, and get that star player, get that superstar cornerstone franchise changing talent back. They're ne- they're probably not. And I want to, I want to set the expectation for this fan base kind of low because they're probably not going to get a player like James Harden again. Like just, just, he is so out of the norm in terms of how good he was, how durable he was, like how historically dominant he was as, as an offensive player. Like the next great player for this franchise probably isn't going to be as good as him. Uh, and you're, you're probably not going to see a player like that for another 20 years, but that doesn't mean you can't be a title contender again, right? That doesn't mean you can't build up to being a very, very good team again, but it's going to take some, some painful years for the Rockets. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that you're not in Los Angeles. You can't just like fall backwards into players. <laughs> this really bothers you. This, this, this is your least favorite part of the NBA. It really is because there are just innate advantages for the, the the nicer and more pleasant cities, and that unfortunately is just how it goes if you're not one of those cities and not one of those teams. So they they really need to make the team be favorable to be on. And I my biggest worry is that there it it sounds like there are things that people don't like about the team culture. And I guess I will leave it at that for the time being, but that's what to watch for. Oh, uh, and also I think that is the, the one upside of watching a team in this situation is that you don't have to worry about wins and losses. And instead you can just root for players. You can just root for like Jay Sean Tate to, to come out and be awesome. And that's something that you're going to probably get to see to some varying degree. And you're going to be able to find something fun about each and every game. So that's that's my recommendation to the fans out there. Don't worry so much about wins and losses. They really don't matter for this next year or so. Just watch these players, watch their growth, and like root for these guys to be the best they can be. Yep, 100%. Um, this was great. I think we, I think we recorded actually a little longer than I expected to, but I think we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. We have a general sense of what the Rockets may do, uh, this season at the trade deadline and this summer and moving forward. Uh, that, that last one's still gonna be a little tricky because I don't actually know what they plan to do this summer and moving forward because I just, it, it's tough. It's tough. Until we see what this team is and until we see what you know, Victor Oladipo is asking for, you know, in free agency. It's going to be really tough to gather what they're going to do in the future. But um, I think we covered all avenues, right? Do you, you feel like we touched, we, we didn't touch on a, a specific subplot? No, I think we, I think we hit everything we needed to hit. Well, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at SomaliNBA. Follow Forrest on Twitter at D-U-N-O-T-S. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs>